Thanks for sticking here with Organic Matters to do the second part. I usually try to do a subject in each quarter, but this just had so much information I thought people ought to at least be aware of that I went and extended it to two parts of the show. So I hope you appreciate the the second part of omega-3s and omega-6s and what they're all about. The problem is that foods high in omega-6, notably soil and corn oils the most, as well as most factory farmed meats and dairy produce such a surplus of omega-6 fatty acids that in essence the beneficial omega-3s can't really compete. When omega-6s flood your system, they use up all the molecular sockets, as the little plug-ins will let's say, needed by the omega-3s so the latter are blocked from doing their jobs. The modern U.S. diet has an omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. It's 10 to 1 or greater. Research shows that we evolved, and for years, our ratio was about one-to-one. That's a big difference, folks. It would be a lot healthier if we could get as close to that as possible once again. A Norwegian study looked at diets fed to farmed fish and lab animals and found that the simple switch in concentrations of these two key fatty acids to favor omega-6s provoked obesity and inflammation. But restoring the ratio to a more natural balance reversed both the obesity and the inflammation. Because of the overuse of high omega-6 corn and soy to feed livestock and produce cheap processed foods, the average contemporary diet is now four times higher in omega-6 acids than it should be for normal and optimal health. This elevated level of omega-6 intake interferes with the essential functions of the omega-3 fatty acids. Here in the States at least, current omega-6 to omega-3 ratios in the standard American diet is about 15 to 1. Optimal omega-6 to omega-3 should never be greater than 4 to 1, and if it was lower, 3 to 1 or 2 to 1 would even be better. Recommended omega-3 consumption with elevated omega-6 total, about 3,600 milligrams a day. Recommended omega-3 consumption with reduced omega-6, 360 milligrams a day. Think of the difference. It's not a little, it's a lot. Now let's take a look at finding the real solution. Sources of healthful fats. Oddly, studies of omega-3 sources have focused almost exclusively on fish and Were this the end of the story, humanity would just be in a terrible jam. Meat from beef and pork, as well as poultry meat, has just generally been ignored. Simply because grain-fed animals face exactly the same problem as farmed fish. They're fed corn and soy, which are so high, way too high, and of what we call the wrong kind of fats. Almost all of the beef, pork, and poultry raised in the United States comes from animals fed such a diet, which is cheap in more ways than one and fattens them quickly. Their meat, milk, and eggs are, however, significantly different from productions that come from animals raised, you know, on their original living uh, situations. In other words, pasteurized and range-free diets. As is the case with wild fish, Products provided by pasture-raised animals deliver the DHA we require. While grass-fed beef, eggs, and dairy products are not near as rich in DHA, pound for pound, as wild cold-water fish, they still have it in abundance. 
Besides DHA, there are four other uh, what we call discrete omega-3s, and each has a role to play. Compared with feedlot products, milk and meat from pasture-raised animals have 300, listen to this, 300 to 500% more conjugated lyolytic acids, or they call it CLA. Another omega-3 fatty acid. This CLA offers benefits for brain health different from those of DHA. In addition to linoleic acid, there are three other omega-6s, interestingly enough, each with vital functions, especially in our immune system. And this only accounts for two groups of, of all those polyunsaturated fats. Taken together, all of this evidence drives a steak. <laughs> That's a joke. In the heart of fat-phobic advice and warnings about high cholesterol. The widespread and unanimous evidence correlates reduced omega-3s with reduced brain function, especially over long term. Corrosive effects that will lead to dementia and Alzheimer's have also been observed. And current research even shows a connection between the widely prescribed statin drugs that lower cholesterol, such as Lipitor, and reduced brain function. It ain't good for your brain, folks. This is not a side effect of the drugs, but a primary effect. Statins reduce cholesterol. Now, consider that while your brain is about 2% of your body's weight, it holds about 25% of all your body's cholesterol at any one moment, and it's composed of approximately 60% fat. You got a fat, you got a fat head, you got a fat brain. In short, your brain must have cholesterol. Now, I must mention, all of this is widely variable depending not just on the food source, but also on the season, the storage conditions, the integrity, how honest are the supplier, and the perishability of some of these fats. There are no guarantees, but this story hangs together. The complexity itself is what we need to seek, not just this fat or that wonderful new micronutrient that might have been discovered. Well, while my old hippie self thinks that uh, um, rules are sometimes really made to be broken, here's some simple rules that I think would help all of us health-wise. Avoid processed foods. They are loaded with soy and corn-based ingredients and are far too high in sugars as a rule, as well as preservatives. We don't even know what all those do to us yet. And other what I would call dubious additives. I went the other day to buy bread for a friend of mine, nature's own. Sounds like a really good bread, right? I don't buy bread. I make my own 99% of the time. It had 31 ingredients in it. Next time you go to look even what you think is a healthy loaf of bread, read what's in it. You probably wouldn't feed it to your dog. Embrace variability. Don't take all of your eggs out of one basket. Pardon the pun. Seek rich sources of omega-3s, especially DHA, and the rest of the essential fatty acids will come with the package. I say it a little different. Make every effort not to eat any omega-6. Work your entire diet around as little or no omega-6 as you can get, and you're going to get it anyway. Okay? It's just almost, unless you're growing your own and your own pasture, it's almost impossible. Uh, but the closer you work at not trying to get omega-6s, the better off you're going to naturally be with omega-3s. And don't rely. I take a few supplements. We'll talk about that in a minute. But even the best supplements have drawbacks. 
with perishability and bioavailability and they lose their uh, their strength at its worst the industry is riddled with for lack of a better word snake oil <laughs> and there's tons of it on the internet folks I, I mean i can't believe how much when i go look it up saying all that i do take some supplements but they're not what you think i buy organic turmeric okay or curcumin what do you want to call it there's a couple of other exotic herbs that may or may not be as good as I'm told they'll be, but they're all they're all organic. They're all certified. Uh, most of them have been certified. Most of uh, my stuff either comes out of Germany or has been certified by Germany because they do look at vitamins and things that we don't. Ours are not even tested by the FDA. So anyway, I don't take very many. We're going to take something, at least spend a little bit extra, get what we know is as safe as it can be for us. Just in general, choose wisely and eat well. The best sources of healthful fats and the whole array of micronutrients are wild, cold water fish, wild game and meat, dairy and eggs, yes, from grass-fed animals by all means. Complement those with an abundant um, amount of micronutrients and fats in mostly fresh, unprocessed foods, nuts, fruits, and vegetables. And do it about See what you think. Or more accurately, see how you think. That's a better way to say it. And how you, in general, just move and how you feel. Kind of sorry, folks, but another big uh, subject change because I just have a few minutes to fill. But it's something I'm really just learning about, but I'm going to tell you what I do know so far. And it so far sounds like another uh, kind of a uh, cog in the wheel of what it's going to take to make us more sustainable. And this is talking about microgrids are actually taking sustainable energy to whole new places and to whole new levels. I'll give you a few moments about it, and then when you get a chance, take a, take a chance, take some time and look at this. Microgrids are redefining the energy landscape. These are, what they are really are localized grids that operate in tandem with the traditional regular grid that you're attached to right now, but they do it uh, autonomously. You don't even know they're there. They act as an independent energy systems and seamlessly integrate energy resources from everything. Solar panels, wind turbines, batteries, and of course your regular electricity. Their design enhances resilience, ensuring critical infrastructure, especially to hospitals and emergency services or even to small neighborhoods uh, where main grid failures come, they back you up for those times till you're back on the main grid. They're really, really based originally around sustainable energy. One of the most transformative aspects of microgrids is their ability to provide renewable energy sources. What they do is facilitate using local power, reducing the need for lengthy transmission lines and minimizing energy losses. Folks, do you realize that when energy comes to a power uh, uh, line to you, the further it goes, the less energy you get, the rest gets wasted getting here? So the closer the source is, the more efficient it is. Microgrids actually maximize efficiency with localized power production and consumption, leading to a substantial energy and cost savings. When paired with advanced battery storage systems, which are coming in line by the hundreds now, microgrids can store surplus renewable energy during off-peak times for use during high demand or emergency periods. In some communities, Microgrids are paired with reconditioned transformers to stabilize their performance without requiring hardly anything in the way of 
a capital outlay. So thereby, of course, reducing the cost to everyone using that energy grid. And the actual customers aren't the only ones who stand to gain from these microgrids. Power companies can also benefit from this, quote-unquote, next green innovation. Off-grid electricity generators alleviate the strain on the central power plants, especially during peak times, by providing excess energy. As prices ebb and flow, microgrid users can draw from or sell back to the main grid, providing a win-win situation for everybody involved on all sides. The rising demand for microgrid drives a lot of innovation. Research and advanced control systems, energy storage and integration techniques is, are really booming. Microgrids do more than produce electricity. They represent a new perspective on power, prioritizing sustainability, resilience, and community empowerment. And best of all, as far as I'm concerned, they enable the use of wind and solar power way more efficiently and make them available at times in certain places where no other power source is available. So this age-old idea that uh, the winds suddenly work when the wind's blowing and the sun's shining is no longer true and soon won't even be a part of the picture. Power storage to now has been a problem and now and into the next decade at the most, it will not be a problem anymore. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters. Thank you.